0: there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Lynn Davis, an American concert organist, pedagogue and recording artist. She is world renowned for her expertise in French music culture and style. Having been Educated by the finest American and French organ masters, her career was launched by taking the first prize at the 1975 St. Albans International Organ Competition in England, the eighth organist to receive that honor since the competition's founding in 1962. Now a leading international concert artist and master teacher at the Wichita State University School of Music in Kansas. She has performed in nearly every cathedral in France, in numerous major cities throughout Europe and from coast to coast in the United States. Her activities have included being a featured performer and lecturer at two national conventions of the American Guild of Organists, a member of Charter. Dallas, St. Albans, Triverdia and Montreal International Organ Competition juries and giving master classes and lectures about French organ literature and its history. In addition to heading the organ program at Wichita State University, she is producer and artistic director of the Rye Bloomfield Organ Series, Distinguished Guest Artists and the Wednesdays in Wiedemann series she created in 2007 for which she performs monthly half-hour organ recitals which are videotaped for youtube in this conversation lynn davis shares her insights about continuing the french organ tradition in the 21st century let's go to the show so lynn thank you so much for uh, doing this uh, interview i'm so delighted uh, that you uh, had uh, this uh uh, amount of time for for us to share and uh, y- your ideas and insights will be very very helpful and inspiring to the organ world Thank you so much and welcome to the show
1: Well thank you for welcoming me and have invited me to participate in such
0: an important event uh, For starters Lynn uh, let me ask you this question that is very interesting for our listeners of course uh, Do you remember those uh, early times in your Childhood, perhaps, when when you first uh, fell in love with the organ, can you share the story?
1: Yes. Well, we, my family were um, members of the Methodist Church in Lansing, Michigan, and they had met. My parents had met in a in a choir, an adult choir, and as a result of that, uh, the church was our second home, and we had a beautiful program of choirs and the organ was always a central part of our celebrations and the rehearsals for the choirs and i we took piano lessons from the director of music there and organist and i think that's how naturally i fell in love with the organ and started taking organ lessons just to be the organist of the junior choir services in in the in the church and there's another element that my my grandmother, my grandmother Davis had an old pump organ that we inherited. And so she must have played. I didn't know her, but she must have played. And so it was an early, early recognition and a feeling that was just to become a part of me from then on.
0: Oh, you had uh, all the old harmonium, right? Uh, where you had to pump v- with your feet uh, the bellows. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, yes. It's
1: a cornish Cornish uh, pump organ, Cornish Company
0: uh-huh. from New Jersey And what was the feeling of playing that instrument so early on?
1: It, it, I, all I only knew that I just had to pump and I would just play um, the, the keyboard and it didn't seem to be any different, of course it was different from the piano but, but I was able to, to play some things that I I'd not played before and it just really actually felt rather natural
0: Mhm. Uh interesting. Uh, did you p- did you play some hymns uh, were you were you interested in playing hymns at that time too?
1: Oh yes, we we always sang hymns, mm-hmm. we played hymns. Uh I would open our our hymnal and either on well, mostly on the piano because the the organ was um rather limited that one keyboard pump organ, but but um yes i would play hymns open the hymn book and, and sight read through the hymns uh and sometimes sight read the piano accompaniments to the choir anthems it was all a process and i and i just took it all in uh, the the pageantry the processions uh the way one carried oneself when we were, when you were in a uh church service uh
0: and the special concerts uh huh. So your your early experiences, of course, involved uh, lots of uh, church playing and lots of hymns and uh, religious music as well. So uh, interesting, uh, interesting start, uh, Lin. Did you uh, uh, did you think that uh, you uh, will be were going to be an organist right away? Did uh, did you start to think uh, about the, your organist career right away?
1: I didn't think about a career, but I only knew that from age 13 on that I wouldn't do anything else. There was no question about my going to college uh, and and taking up another subject. It was just a given. It was a natural feeling that I was going forward in the organ world on the organ as an instrument uh, right from the very beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. did you have any other uh, interests besides music for example were you interested in uh, let's say um, some some kind of sport activity or any other activity that early te- teenagers usually have
1: well <laughs> i i I enjoyed singing and for that I was again at the church in choirs and I conserve a love of, of singing and uh, if I had, I would have loved to be uh, an opera singer, mm-hmm. to be able to act and sing at the same time. So singing was always a part of what we all did, and I did sports like everybody else in high school, junior high, and high school. But but mainly, I had to practice, and I would go down to the church, perhaps before uh, junior choir service, and practice uh, on the organ then. Uh, I really didn't do uh, so much else except acting in the school plays and then singing in the choirs. Those were my two main main activities, other than than just practicing and playing the organ.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what happened mm-hmm. later when you when you uh, when you sp- uh, started studying organ performance at the University of Michigan?
1: Well, I had already started at the church, then and mm-hmm. and I decided to go to the. Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan and enroll in the organ program, <clears throat> and that was just a continuation. We had to choose one of the professors. Mine was Robert Clark at the time, <clears throat> and uh, then started the learning of of organ works, doc, and and knowing all the different periods of of organ of organ works, and trying to figure out which type type of of Composer feeling of music that I, that I liked the best.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, um, that happened quite a, quite a long time ago, but perhaps you remember, Lynn, what was the first organ piece that you played, the first real organ repertoire composition that you started playing?
1: Oh, learn? oh. You know, I remember um, trying to play. On that little, my grandmother's um, pump organ, the Toccata in D minor.
0: <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh.
1: Of course, it wasn't. It wasn't with pedals, but it was something that I wanted to be able to not only just hear, but to try to play. Um, and then, well, you know, my first organ lessons were on a Hammond organ, a, a full church Hammond organ in the chapel of the church. Where my parents were married, and that's where my first organ lessons were. So the first organ pieces were were organ mm-hmm. um preludes, chorale preludes. But I do remember the sweet gothic by Boelmann, mm-hmm. Leon Boelmann, that I that I worked on and, and had to play in church uh, for my organ organ professor, organ teacher. Mm-hmm. So organ- and then at the university, and at the university, that was a prelude in fugue, A minor. Uh, by Bach and well actually the first one was Prayers and Fugue in G major uh-huh. that was one but we had to memorize our, our pieces.
0: Uh, G major from the eight, eight little preludes or the the long one? Oh no
1: no it, the long one.
0: The, the long one. one, oh 541 right? Uh. BWV number
1: suppose yes
0: yes yes fantastic piece
1: yes.
0: wow that's yeah. a, quite a virtuoso piece and uh, uh, w- when you were talking about uh, organ uh, preludes choral preludes from Orgel Buchlein by Bach that's not a very easy place to start don't you think well that's true but you have to choose uh-huh. if you choose wisely in the
1: and I think the ones I worked on especially were order ended choral preludes Mm-hmm. and the ones that uh distinctly are are easier than the more contrapuntal allophonic ones
0: True true yes and then uh, after your studies uh, at the University of Michigan you moved to France right w- to study with the great french masters uh, can you can you share a little bit uh, of your experience in france too
1: Yes well i i went directly after graduating from the University of Michigan, and it was to have spent one year with Marie-Claire Alain. Uh, it was something Americans did quite often mm-hmm. in that time, and we would go over for a year or so. There wasn't the media, the internet that we have nowadays that makes the world so such a smaller one. And true, there were a lot of very fine organ masters in all over Europe. Uh, in in Paris, you had Langlais, Littes, Jouriflet, Messiaen, uh, and uh, to name some of the, the composer organists. But mm-hmm. but the ones who just performed, uh, Marshall, marie Alain, and then isouard Chapuis, This it was very a very very rich time. <clears throat> so my idea was to go for a year. But that first year, marie Alain was gravely ill. Mm-hmm. Well, I continued my studies with Jean Langlais at the Scola Cantorum in Paris, and then later on that that school year, uh, Marie-Madeleine de Richelieu. So unfortunately for Marie-Claire, she was ill, but that illness permitted me to branch out a little bit in the world of these great French organ masters and, and get what they had to offer me as, as a student, as an organist
0: yes and of course um, um, the style of teaching is so different in Europe than uh, than that uh, in America right uh, w- was it so for you too did you notice some differences from uh, Professor Robert Clark for example and, uh, and Jean Langlais let's say
1: oh well yes of course mm-hmm. because uh, America is always forward thinking and it's very democratic mm-hmm. and thus in a lesson, um you could ask the professor what well, do you think I could play it this way and not the way you're suggesting, mm-hmm. and you could talk about it well, Jean Langley was very much uh an old master, mm-hmm. one of the the masters the le maître, and you just didn't do that you know he would give you the way to play it and that and that's it. there's no discussion uh-huh. but um that, that's one understands that with each. Professor once studies with uh, it, it could be the same way today, although I think we probably discussed things more than but each teacher has something to impart to a student, and I think it, it belongs to the student to take that that aspect and work it into their own way of playing, and then discuss it with yourself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> see whether that fits into what you're learning elsewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. What did you uh, study with, with those great French masters? A repertoire more or improvisation?
1: Oh, repertoire, mm-hmm. repertoire. And oh, it was so wonderful to be able to really understand how to play early French music. I started, I think the first thing I took to Marie-Claire Alain was the the Suite sur le Deuxième Ton. And it uh, was an eye-opener because she pointed out how, how well, relatively easy it is to to see what Pierre Humboldt wants, mm-hmm. because most of the formulas that one sees elsewhere, or one is supposed to see elsewhere, it was written down.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: studying Bach with her was an eye-opener because she had uh, ties, great ties with Anton Heiler. In fact, Anton Heiler, both of them came to the University of Michigan during our autumn conferences, and those were a great introduction to this, this music through these European masters. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied mostly Bach and early French, and, and jean of course, with my, my Uh and, and just about everything. Uh, what I got... Out of Madame Drffe was a sense of technique uh she sent me to this little old piano teacher, Mademoiselle Nicolas, to finally get my technique in my muscles in my hands uh, corrected and and underway that there was something missing. Mm-hmm. I studied uh a lot of uhfranc list uh romantic music um and French, and of course du. With Madame Durflein and then a little bit with with Maurice Durufle, who with whom I
0: had lessons on some front pieces. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you mentioned your experience with Jean Langlais, and uh, can you remember um, your 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 studies a little bit uh, with Marie claire Land too? Uh, how how she was different from Jean Langlais? Well, first of all,
1: it wasn't exactly the same generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He knew a little bit her brother, and she was a performer she she was mm-hmm. uh, that was and she had performed everywhere uh practically in the world and in that manner she gave us uh performing tips mm-hmm. uh how to precipice and where to precipice and making up a registration what i can see in in, mo- in most of my uh, scores I have her re- writing this the the registration out at the very beginning, especially in the French organ the classic classical music. Mm-hmm. what should be there uh in some and when there weren't so many sequences, a series of combinations, then you'd have to rely on oh, I don't know five, six, six, eight, maybe eight combinations, so there was the art of going through those eight and maybe coming back to one right and uh, maybe coming back to two. Uh, that was the art that uh, that I learned from her, um, much more than than technique.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But but registration certainly was very was a very big part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Thinking uh, in other words, thinking quite economically about registration changes, right? Uh, instead of uh, changing pistons yes. all the time and s- uh, sequencers, you you need to rely only on a certain number, like eight eight combinations, right?
1: Right, mm-hmm. right. And and of course, then there's there are the organs, the historical organs, and even modern ones, that don't have combinations at all. It's, mm-hmm. That's the historical um, aspect of, of these organs. And so there would be the extreme um, use of just as, as little as possible, which is a good way of understanding registration, especially if you're playing... Broke music because then they couldn't change every measure or every or every section using the divisions of the organ. Mm-hmm. That was another way. And we would we, our, we as students went with her to Harlem. We went with her to Poitier. Um She knew organs in the United States, uh, all and over all over Europe. So she could tell us what to expect.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's so great that. Um it's actually very sad that no longer uh, those great French masters are with us, but y- their heritage can be felt through their students like yourself, right? And uh, I think this tradition, this legacy, is uh, carrying on into the twenty first century, don't you think?
1: I hope so. I hope so. We we are there are, are always are already. Uh, some very fine young generations of organists who perhaps don't even know of Marie-Claire Lain, although I think most of them do, and some of their, their teachers were students of of her or or other greats, Anton Heiler, Michael Schneider. But yes, you're absolutely right, and it's important to remember this legacy and pass it down.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, how about the French instruments? Aren't they the most... Uh direct teachers of all uh, your your um, encounter uh, with the great and uh, historic uh, French uh, organ for example can teach you so much uh, right away if you just listen to it right
1: oh of course Mm -hmm. of course and that's the advantage of being over there live Mm -hmm. there are so many CDs recordings and everything uh, I think one function, one good function of YouTube is that uh, somebody can see an organ is actually playing, but the the personal aspect of actually being in the church or the the auditorium uh, is rather special, and you need to have that sort of stereophonic sound and to know how far the, the organ speaks. If you go too far, you don't hear it as well. And, and just to sit down and pull out stop by stops, and to be so surprised, and just put, pulling out a principal or a 8 on the, the Saint-Étienne organ, the Cavalicole organ at Saint-Étienne in Caen. It's, it's a, an eye-opener, it's an ear-opener. You just go, oh, that's what it sounds like. Or to go to Souvenir or, or Houdon, uh with its short French pedal board uh feeling those feeling and hearing those sounds underneath your fingertips and then releasing a chord and hearing the the ver- reverberation going far 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 away
0: right it's
1: it's precious
0: yes um do you remember what was the first organ in in Paris that you encountered yourself the
1: f- the first organ in Paris mm-hmm that I played myself? Yes. Uh, Ah, that's a very good question, because I don't really remember. I know we went to St. Clotilde quite a bit with Langlais on Sunday mornings, but as far as a concert, I think it may have been at St. Tomadeca that has a very fine Mm Schrenkadel that over the years has been restored, and it's a very fine organ to play Bach on. In fact, I played the 18 Leipzig chorales on that organ in, a, in an evening concert. Uh, so I do remember that very, very well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Notre Dame.
0: Right. You mentioned, uh, of course, a little bit uh, earlier uh, YouTube and uh, how easy it is to get uh, get to know those French uh, organs today, right? Uh, just from recordings and videos. Um, there is another uh, way to do this Uh, those virtual organs uh, uh, where they have samplers of of various historical and important instruments from all over the world and people at home can experience uh, while playing a keyboard but listening to the so-called real sounds of those instrument, instruments today. So it, techn- technology advances so quickly and uh, we barely can keep up, don't you think?
1: I think you're right. You're right. And I have not personally experienced one of those organs. Um, the, and I'm sure it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's marvelous. Uh, the, but it's really for the sound. I don't know that you wouldn't get the touch because the touch of each organ is, is specific to that particular instrument, and the instrument you're playing, this this realization of the sound in your own home is will always have the same touch. So, as a as an informer, getting getting informed about these and knowing what they sound like, sort of under your fingers, or at least in, through speakers in your home, is a good thing as well. But to really understand how they're played, mm-hmm. uh, what the touch is, which sometimes greatly affects the, the, the tempo one uses in a particular piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the pièce P- P- by Franck, playing it on an electromagnetic um, touch is not the same as playing it on the Cavalli-Col in Saint-Étienne, for example. If the little pulled back, because those are powerful powerful reeds and and it takes a while for them to sound. Uh, so it's, uh, you
0: know,
1: the it, it, best experience is to be in the place and to play the organ.
0: Of course. And believe me,
1: that mm-hmm. stays with you. It stays with you and you learn from that. And then seeing on YouTube then, then the other organ that's, Becomes more more evident
0: mm-hmm. of course you write uh, Lynn because when you whenever you go to that church uh, life right you not only experience the touch and the mechanics of the organ and the depression and the 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 uh, the the quality of the uh, other mechanical things and features, right? But you also remember that smell, all uh, of of all the uh, historical building. Don't all historical bin- buildings have a special kind of smell? Do you remember in in Paris, for
1: example?
0: Yes. Yes, very precious feeling.
1: That's a very wonderful uh, thing to bring up. I I'm not. You know, thought of that as such but of course it's part of the experience mm-hmm. it's it's the old wood it's the, the 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 musty musty smell of going up a, a winding staircase up to the organ loft um, there's dust maybe all over the um, the church perhaps smells of incense and um, the lofty ceilings contribute to just thinking that there's so much space and so and our music goes way up almost to the heavens yes it's like when i go to paris in the fall Mm -hmm. because that was the first time i really went in 72 that's when i went to study 72 in september and and september october paris has a specific smell at that time it's the beginning of autumn Mm -hmm. and those it's like a perfume uh, You can always smell something And the smells of different organs I hadn't thought of it that way But mm-hmm. you're, you're right that, that does contribute too
0: and another feeling is I always get when visiting uh, those places is uh, knowing that those great masters also climbed those stair- stairs, right? And also uh, pounded those keys and pedals and uh, also sat on those, the same organ bench uh, since the time of, uh, let's say, Cesar Frank or even earlier, right? And uh, we sort of continue yes. this the same tradition. It's it's kind of a great responsibility too, but also a great inspiration, don't you think? Oh,
1: well, you've said it very very well. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the, their legacy that's gone going through us. And yes, it's it's an honor. It's a responsibility. And but I'm not sure, so sure we think of it that way every day as we go up there. Our our talent permits us. Uh, and our discipline permits us to work hard to go in the trace, in the paths of these masters, and hopefully we we do continue this this elegant and this this magnificent tradition.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And Lynn, I know uh, your career, organist career, was launched by taking first prize at the prestigious Saint Albans International Organ Competition, right? Um, Yes. Do you remember those also early days um, uh, in your career? What was the feeling uh, to participate in such a prestigious event for the first time?
1: Well, I, I had gone um, two years before that uh-huh. uh, in '73 and participated, but it was such. And I was only I had been in France for a year, and it was so wonderful to be in an English-speaking country because. My French was good, but not that good yet. And to be back with uh, Anglo-Saxons and and this wonderful festival
2: Mm
1: -hmm. of not only organ competition, but choirs, uh, concerts with other instruments, but, and, and organists, meeting the members of the jury, meeting other student organists, competitors. It was a a whole experience Mm -hmm. that was delightful and informing and, in a beautiful historical place. And of course, the the time uh, when I did win in in 75 was the same way, such such a hustle and bustle of activity and musical things and and non-musical. We had uh, the the original King's singers sing for one of our late night receptions. Uh, They were always scheduling lunches, dinners, receptions, and, and concerts when where there were concert goers from the town, from England, who would come religiously and, and hear everybody play. And, of course, note down what the competitors did. Uh, it was very inspirational, as you used that word before. Mm-hmm. Inspirational and fun, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, when we go to those events, not only to competitions, but festivals and, uh, let's say, conferences and conventions... We all feel like like uh, it's the center of of organ activity in the world uh, at that time and place, right? Uh, because yeah. so many great yeah. minds gather around us, right? And we are taking part of this, and into this discussions happen all the time, uh, into late at night, right? So it's it's sort of uh, um, inspires people into. G- to, to be and become greater than they can even dream of right Um was, was a similar experience uh, for you too uh, there too
1: oh i I totally agree I think it's a coming together of great minds like like minds in the same profession, and I think that's essentially the reason one has conventions in in any uh, way of life or, or profession but um I just was at a National American Guild of Organist Convention in Houston, Texas. Um, That was very inspirational, but I also think of an isolated concert in Paris at the Cathedral of Notre Dame. It was to celebrate the the birth date of uh, Pierre Mm Cocheau and there were so many organists from everywhere from america from england uh, from europe from france and and organ builders i saw so many of my friends and colleagues that that was it was actually very heartwarming and to be all together for just a very short time in that beautiful cathedral uh in memory of and honoring the memory of Pierre Courchel uh it happened to be that that circumstance was was quite inspiring. I often think back to that and think back to the faces of people I'd see come up to me and say, hello, at, oh, I haven't seen you for years. That's, it, our profession is a very solitary profession, obviously, because we work up in the organ loft, we we play for masses, we practice for concerts. We we're Our ensemble is the organ. We're the, we're the director, we're the conductor of the organ or of a, the choir, the great choir, if you want it. Of the organism as a choir as well, so we don't often get to mingle with our our colleagues, and when that when that happens, it's supremely inspirational. Mm-hmm.
0: So true. Even the the smallest conference, right, the very local uh, A. G. O. Chapter can can organize a small event gathering, but still you can feel this this uh, this uh, uh, intensified. Uh, mental activity that happens around those minds, right?
1: Um, yes, and we we can't neglect that. that thing. There, were, there were other things. In Paris, Marie-Louise Langley uh, did a, a centenary seminar, conference of the centenary of the death of frederic and brought together members of the Franc, uh, descend, descendants of the Franc family, and uh, other French masters who were still alive at the time, like André Fleury, Gaston Ites. So, yes, you're right. And even this bullet, uh, our pipe organ encounter last year here at Wichita State University uh, with um, young people up, t- up to the age of 19, uh, we had a great group. And, and
0: yes, <coughs> you're right. And Lynn... Um- <laughs> if you remember those times when you competed in England for, uh, for St. Albans uh, competition uh, how different is it preparation for competition and preparation for organ recital or series of organ recitals for you or is it uh, very similar well, still well at the
1: time it, <clears throat> I don't think that I was well, if you have to get it right the first time, and and some people, <clears throat> excuse me, some people uh, are very good at that and are able to perform for not an audience but for a jury. And performing for a jury is not the same as performing for an audience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Audience members are are not all musicians. They're not. They're not all necessarily organ members. It could be your family. Mm-hmm. They'll cheer you on, uh, and you have that. Feeling and mentality and that inspiration of the moment mm-hmm. and which can which can mean that you can could include some mistakes or or the registration might go wrong, but you you don't have the droit à l'erreur you don't have the right to make a mistake uh in in the competition so mm-hmm. so it's a more difficult thing for those of us who like live performances, and I must admit that i I do like live performances and recordings of, of, of myself rather than, than going through the recording process.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, um, the recording process, of course, is so different because you can take uh, many takes, right? Make uh, many takes and uh, cut and paste various materials, uh, pieces or episodes of your organ repertoire. Do you... Uh, are you... No practicing uh, recording um, in, in large episodes or do you seek perfection after perfection and uh, glue very small episodes together?
1: I don't do much recording for records for CDs everything I've done at all my concerts recitals at Univers- uh, the Wichita State University have been recorded live
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um so, I don't really. If there are mistakes, there are mistakes. Mm-hmm. And what I would love to do is make a compilation of Lynn Davis lives. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is the most real and genuine uh, way of presenting music to the public. I think there's a. Um, it becomes too aseptic or too clean, uh, which. Uh, you now sometimes you can play something through without any mistakes at all, and then of course you get you get the uh, the complete uh, sweep of the piece in that matter manner. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: fantastic idea to 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 perform uh, and uh, to focus on life live performances more than on edited recordings, right? Because the something is lost, don't you think, when you uh, edit and uh, make many takes of, of each piece and uh, polish it to the Crystal, crystal clear per, uh, perfection, right? Uh, basically, like right. like a mu- museum piece, basically. Uh, but but we as artists always think about the audience, and we want to move listeners, right? And of course, how better to move the listeners than in a live setting?
1: Yes. Oh, I I agree totally. Mm-hmm. That's my concept. I, and one could say that that it it's easier. Um, I, I, it certainly puts pressure on the performer to do well for the whole piece that he or she is performing but I think it's much more of a pressure to record and edit uh, because you're, if, if you have a, a segment that's going not so well and you have to do it over and over again uh, not saying you can't get the same feeling mm-hmm. and present the same emotion but it's, it's a lot of pressure. So I don't usually put myself to through that type of pressure so much. I, I would prefer to put out uh, Lynn Davis live recordings so that that that's that's what you get. If there are some mistakes, well how interesting, maybe, you know, that's that's what we we're, we're human. Even mm-hmm. orchestras make mistakes.
0: Yes, uh, and it it shows you that <laughs> it shows that a performer is not a robot, right? It's a human a yes. real person a vulnerable person open to criticism perhaps to constructive criticism and uh, and is not a demigod so to say right uh, sometimes can be uh, flawless performances I don't deny it but but more important is probably the the impact you make from from your your recitals to real human beings uh, who are sitting right there uh, and listening to you
1: that's right, and furthermore, uh, the younger generation of, of organists we have is is very bright and very, very wonderful. Um, there is a, a an accent on technicality, technical, this technical aspect. They're very accomplished virtuosos, mm-hmm. and and but for any generation, it's a, it's the real question is style. Mm-hmm. And that's something Jean Longley told me, he told somebody else. Um, He was on the jury at the St. Albans competition when I won in 1975. And at the time, all the competitors could go see the jury and talk with them about their playing. What did you think of this? And what did you think of that? And, And somebody said to him, well, you gave the prize to somebody who plays wrong notes. And he said to them, it's the style that counts. Right. For someone to have said that on the jury, and to make that make that count,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it means that that is really what gets through to people. I think, uh, unfortunately, audiences are are very attracted to all the brilliance and fast technical playing that we could one could hear, mm-hmm. and it's, I think that's probably the easiest thing to interpret, uh, something fast and if it's well done fast, but what about what about slower things? What about things that involve your personal singing, the singing of the organ? Um, I have a wonderful story about about that. When I played in Grand Rapids, Michigan once and this this lady came up with her little granddaughter and the lady said to me, well you know what, at intermission my little granddaughter said to me I want to meet the lady who sings the organ. Mm-hmm that is the most wonderful compliment that anybody has ever given me and it says what people feel
2: exactly. and
1: what we should strive for in our in playing this wind instrument
2: mm-hmm.
1: and if techni- technical fast things come along that's great too but what what sticks in their mind is the singing the breath that we bring to it mm-hmm.
0: And of course, not every listener is a you know expert and professional in at this, but everybody has ears, don't you think?
1: Yes, and feelings. <laughs> they can feel. We are we we breathe naturally. The organ doesn't breathe naturally. It's the, it. We have to breathe um, naturalness into it, and use our our natural breathing and phrasing to create musical phrases that 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 have ebb and flow and to create a, a normal uh... not erratic
0: uh, rubato wasn't uh, master Igor Stravinsky that uh, said uh, the monster never breathes about the organ remember this uh, quotation When uh, when he he, uh, he had experience of course with different kind of style playing of style right in those days and uh, he didn't yeah. particularly enjoy uh, the the organ sound, uh, as I understand, because uh, he said uh, the monster never breathes.
1: Ah, the monster never breathes. The monster. Uh huh. Well, that means he didn't re- encounter organists who knew how to breathe.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, I think this is this is the thing with some of our famous composers. Did you see uh, among them? Um, Fauré who was an organist himself, who never really wrote compositions for the organ. I can't I understand why Foray didn't, but but because they may have lived in a time where the organists of their time didn't really know how to make the organ breathe. And uh, that's a very good point to bring mm-hmm.
0: up. Because um, many things were played legato in those days, right? Not, not extensively legato, but um, systematically maybe legato, and, uh, and that sometimes really interferes with breathing. Um,
1: well, yes, but, um, and to that one can easily say, well, would a singer be able to sing that long without right. taking a breath?
0: Right. But, of course, the great masters uh, from France that you encountered, had their own opinion about breathing, right? Can you remember how, for example, um, uh, Madame uh, Durufle related the issue of breathing and and the playing on the organ? (coughs) I... Excuse me.
1: I... um i don't recall um uh-huh. uh, really I, I i don't recall we' talking about breathing i i'm i'm not sure how i integrated that into my into my playing if not just taking voice lessons myself and being a singer uh-huh. um i think it's it was more with a um a, a specific a specifically oriented rubato within a phrase and, it's, and using César Franck and his very singing phrases as a model, yeah. <clears throat> especially when you use the, the swell box going open and then closed, that really is, is, is and with Jean-Alain, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. When you don't have a swell box, but, but the music goes that way.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a sort of little crescendo, decrescendo in the way you play it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think it's a realization that an organism needs to come to to be able to to develop their own natural scene rubato. But Madame Duraflake, of course, was was one who understood the music of her husband, and and understood the music uh, that was very technically demanding, mm-hmm. such as Liszt and and others.
0: Right, Uh, I don't know of your experience, but uh, from my perspective, uh, people who come to the organ uh, who have been playing uh, piano first, right, for many years and then later transferred to the organ, somehow uh, they miss on singing, Uh, didn't sing that much in the past. Do you think that singing helps organists (coughs) to develop this uh, sense of breathing, natural sense of breathing?
1: Oh, it's essential. I think it's essential. And if you, can, you can tell the organists, even very fine organists, who, who don't sing. I'm right. not saying they can't sing, but they don't sing, because the, the way they breathe or don't breathe is not, is not natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, pianists pianists can, be, can become very good organists if they have a good organ teacher who says, look... Uh, now you've got to take care of all the voices you, you you're playing. You can't uh, relegate that to your your sustain pedal, and hope that everything will will go through. You have to be responsible for every voice that you're playing.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And bringing in singing is is easy. I think nowadays in, in university settings, uh, taking a voice as a secondary instrument or just a semester really helps uh, to bring on the, the good sort of breathing that, does, that a singer does. Mm-hmm. I and which you can translate over onto your keyboard play.
0: Mm-hmm. I also uh, see singing uh, as an s- essential skill for the organist. And uh, uh, it doesn't hurt to really sing... Uh, each part that you are playing, right, uh, soprano or tenor or, or the bass or the alto, in your organ compositions, that really, really puts uh, your playing into a new perspective, don't you think?
1: Oh, I, I agree. I agree totally. <clears throat> uh, leaving out the alto, singing the alto mm-hmm. in a in, a, in a part, leaving out well, I guess uh, you can't sing the bass, but uh, maybe an octave or so <laughs> above. But yes, that's that's a technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one can use, and that, that those are things that Madame Burefly, uh did teach teach me um, in in order to practice practice something. And you can use piano techniques for for technical things um, to play octaves and in, in, in uh, lists or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a generous sort of way of of bringing both keyboards, piano and organ together. Piano for the technical. Uh, Things we need and an organ for breathing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Lynn, uh, I know uh, your 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 undying love for the French organ music and the French tradition. Do you find uh, the organ at um, um, at uh, Wichita State University School of Music uh, um, sort of say uh, applicable or suitable for that repertoire too? Uh, or how do you accommodate those uh, difficulties or challenges that uh, Marcusen style organ is uh, uh, presenting for the French tradition
1: this is an organ if I had uh, uh, the responsibility of building a new organ or choosing a builder or finding a specification for a new organ I would take this specification because it allows you to to play a variety of organ historical periods mm-hmm. in a, in a very satisfactory manner, mm-hmm. of course the baroque of course early French is very good uh we have two uh, separate cornets and a and, a, and a one single call uh, on the great um very fine reeds uh and it works beautifully for uh Jean-Alain, Monsieur, uh, Dulcé, it, it really works well for all periods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the only thing that it doesn't really work uh, entirely well with is, is César Franck. Mm-hmm. And it lacks a, a little uh, warmth and um, oh, oh, a feeling of of charm and ease uh, that that other organs would would have already, mm-hmm. and i 'm not quite sure what it is, but it it 's not really an organ for fun, but- r- really you can play everything French on it there's no problem. Mm-hmm
0: right, but uh, even with, with, when we think about Frank uh, we could uh, fantasize about um, if what would happen if frank Frank had uh, a time machine and came to Wichita State University and encountered Marcus and organ there right and what <laughs> what what kind of music did he, would he play it, right still, it would be frank probably some kind of accommodation of frank uh, in that case, so <laughs> So but here we are in the twenty mm-hmm. first century and uh, and uh, somehow we managed to play even Frank, I know, even on that organ, right?
1: Yes, and, and that's what we always have to do. We have to adapt mm-hmm. adapt to the organ we're playing and it's not a, a, a treas it's not treasonous to to modify some of the registrations that are are classic and are written down like in gold. But we do have to adapt to the organs we are performing on. Uh, and in that case, we have to listen. If something seems too shrill, if there's a carol four that's, that's really too shrill, take it off. If, if, the organ, if the reeds on the organ we're performing on aren't bright enough, add a little mixture. It's really uh, what, how we can make the music sound its best. And not how
0: we think it should have sounded. Mm-hmm. And there are very easy technical fixes for that. Sometimes for harsh mixtures, if, if if sometimes it's possible to take the entire texture one octave down, right? And you have more grandeur, oh, yes. and, and uh, uh, if the range allows, of course, uh, it's it's then it sounds entire Vidor uh, Toccata can sound like that on, on one octave lower, and in very very satisfactory way. Sometimes with Frank too.
1: Ah, that's a very good. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Also very good. Good to, to be able to do. But is what other instrumentalist has to do that on their on their instrument? Mm-hmm. What yeah. other instrument? Uh, even voice, uh, flute, trumpet, violin, uh, piano. Who who has to make the most adaptable things? To to be able to uh, play our repertoire on any organ we encounter. Uh huh. Uh huh. Supremely
0: adaptable. Uh, adapt- no one.
1: W- yeah. The answer is no one. No <laughs> one. Right.
0: Only organists have to adapt that much because they encounter new instruments all the time, right? And uh, right. And f- and violinists travels with his or her own instrument. Piano. Um, yes. Piano are different, but. Um, not that much different, right? The the classical right. concert pianos around the world, whereas the organs e- each are unique. That's
1: right. That's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Fantastic! You know, um, I'm so uh, I'm so amazed at your activities at Wichita State University, Lynn. Uh, can you uh, share uh, uh, with us a little bit uh, how how Extensive, or how big? If the organ department is there,
1: the organ department is is not as big as far as the number of students are concerned as I would hope it would be. Well, I think we are in uh, a crisis in the United States, perhaps in Europe too. But the the schools and universities which were filled in the 60s and 70s. Uh, that we don't have those types of classes anymore. I think there's a crisis in the identity in the work that an organist can hope to get. I think the organist, organist needs to be more polyvalent and be able to do lots of different things, which means which means to be able to direct a choir, direct an orchestra, um, give piano lessons. Uh, it's not just being an organist and being able to give concerts. Um, To that end, I'm always making sure that this fabulous instrument, this marcuson, in the the equally fabulous hall, Wiedemann Hall, in fact, this is the 30th anniversary year of the building of both of them. Uh They were both built, one for the other, in 1986, so 2016, that's that's the 30th anniversary, and we have quite a, a lot of celebrations going on, but to make this organ visible and heard, all the time, from, from the university committee, uh, uh, university community to the city of Wichita, to the state, to the nation, and internationally, I produced the Reed Bloomfield Organ Series, which brings in three guest artists, and I founded in 2007 uh, my own organ recital series, which is called Wednesdays in Wiedemann
0: uh-huh. with
1: Lynn Davis, and and those are eight... Half-hour concerts uh, every year, every school year, four per semester, and they are now recorded. They've always been audio recorded, but now they're recorded, uh, video recorded, and put out on YouTube. So that people who haven't been able to go to the concerts can always see what's happened, see what what, what we do, what what's been played, uh, and talked about on YouTube. Mm-hmm. The uh YouTube channel, WSU. So that's in this in this era uh of telecommunications of being out there this is the best way i've found to be in the public eye and ear all the time so i hope at some point it'll bring in uh, slowly uh, more mm-hmm. students who are interested i mean pianists of course we have some pianists and they should be able to take organ lessons i think pianists are always uh, better musicians after they've taken some organ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm but this 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 is the extent of the organ program and it's always in movement always going forward
0: no you're absolutely right Lynn. um you are such a leader in this field um when it comes to recording your uh, your own recitals and putting uh, them on youtube on other uh, platforms on the internet uh, because uh, not too many people do that, not too many schools even do that, right? In the age of technology, when creativity and technology, the gap between them is s- s- basically non existent, b- 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 because we all carry a uh, full blown video camera or even video uh, suite uh, in our pocket, right? There is no excuse left (laughs) not to record, right? (laughs) uh, Anymore. You have to, uh, people have to think up uh, of other excuses, right? Uh, Besides technology (laughs) and not knowing how to do it. So what you're doing, I think, is so so tremendously inspiring uh, for other schools, I think, and universities and conservatories around the world, too. uh, Because uh, I think... I think uh, your organ program will just get stronger by the time because your profile profile as the co- concert organist international concert organist and expert in french music and not only in this field but in in very general terms you're a leader you basically are a leader and an example to your future students so if if people notice you Uh, on youtube and if they live uh, in in this area in kansas or even in midwest right uh, they can get to know Mm -hmm. you right and and say oh i want to study with this person because she is uh, the kind of person i want to work with so thank you so much for for doing this generous work I know it's not easy to play half-hour recitals every every <laughs> every month. I myself play yeah. uh, every month uh, yes. full uh, full improvisation yes, recitals yes. every month. So I know th- how how Total. it um, how it uh, is um, and um, uh, how time-consuming and but but you know the, the effort the effort is is v- much much worth it because in 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 the end your end listeners get feel, uh, get the full impact of your, of your teaching, of your insights, because not only you play, right? You demonstrate the instrument, you talk about the program beforehand, right? So that's what comes. Yes,
1: that's too. right. It, it, it's, it's like a bulldozer effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you don't really see the effects, the positive effects of what you're doing, but you keep on doing it. You keep on putting your passion before the, the audience and letting them know that. And sooner or later, they'll feel that. And as far as students are concerned, you know, they they know that if they're in this area, they can always come and, and try the organ out. That's a first step. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's the students who are already at the university who who hear the organ being played during the semester during concerts with orchestra or with choir and come and inquire about it. Want to take a semester of, of organ? That's that's how we
0: get through, isn't it? Uh uh-huh, Right. You're absolutely right, Lynn. Uh, I'm sure you had those experiences when when after your half-hour recital, right, some students from your university comes up to you, being non-organ ma- majors, but says, oh, let me try out a few organ stops here, and then afterwards, can I study with you, uh, Dr. Lynn? You know?
1: <laughs> yes, well, and and I, and I need to share with you this, this 30th uh, gala celebration that's coming up right. to celebrate the building of the market. And, and this is, uh, has been a dream of mine. You know, we have a college of fine arts with the school of music, the school of art and design and school of performing arts. Well, I had the idea to play as one of my works in, because I'm doing this concert. I'll be one of the distinguished, distinguished guest artists for this, this full blown, eight Reed Bloomfield organ series program. I'm going to perform the the trois danses, the three dances by Jona, and the School of Performing Arts is going to choreograph it, and the School of Art and Design students are going to create sculptures to go along with this piece. So this is a real interdisciplinary action and movement that will involve the complete College of Fine Arts, and I'm exceedingly excited about this and uh, this venture
0: that is going to be wonderful to to take undertake. You know, Lynn, uh, that's what we need in this day and age uh, to think broadly outside the box. How the organ can be presented to the public? You say mo- interdisciplinary way, right? With art and organ yes. and, and literary uh, expositions and demonstrations. Uh, that's such a powerful. I uh, I even imagined uh, multimedia, right? Is could be uh, part of this too, uh, definitely.
1: Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, but it'll be, it'll be recorded and mm-hmm. videotaped. Uh, uh, but the fact that all three disciplines will be taking part is, is enormous.
0: Enormous, yes. Uh, your input and uh, impact uh, into the organ world through those uh, televised performances, and which will be, you know, put on YouTube, and uh, people can listen to to them in indefinitely, right? Into the future, They're, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, that's what we call evergreen content. You know, they never get uh, older. So that's a very uh, great, yes, that's right. great, great, great <laughs> strategy, Lynn and I. I just wish you wish you great uh, energy and uh, stay in good health and continue to produce <laughs> fantastic creative ideas.
1: I, I thank you. That's that's the challenge. I think is to keep your energy up and to stay in good health. Uh, it's, It's so exciting, but then
0: you do have to take vitamins. (laughs) Right, right. So, Lynn, I'm conscious of our our time, and uh, I'm feeling that uh, we're really uh, taking a virtual cup of cappuccino together, and we could be talking here for hours about the topics that we both love and enjoy. But (laughs) I think so too. But uh, for closing, let me ask you one question that that is very interesting. Uh, if 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 you went back in time when you first started playing the organ, what would be the number one thing that you wish you knew back then?
1: Do you mean in the world of organ or in uh, uh, the way of playing the The organ?
0: way of playing, perhaps, yes. That would have helped you back then, uh, made your life easier as an organist or something... Um, something you know now that would have been great to know uh, in the past
1: well I, I i wish i'd had um adequate technical um training uh-huh. before having to wait to go over to france and study with madame madame i uh, i wish i'd had teachers who could have given me that skill already so i didn't i wouldn't have had, it, had to well i won't say waste time but already be Technically, much more proficient than I was at that time. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing might be, might be, um, and it was only because I was in the States, as the sense of acoustics, playing the organ with a, a big reverberation. I would have liked to have been able to uh, learn how to play with that that big reverberation rather than waiting till I was in my 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's both te- technique
0: and, and acoustics. <laughs> so so that's a great advice for our organists who are uh, s- studying organ uh, today, right? Uh, pay attention in to building their technique and pay attention to how to deal with acoustics, right? Very well said, mm-hmm. yes. Right. Very well said. So uh, for closing, uh, Lynn... Um, if you had a chance uh, if we all uh, had a chance for a second life would you choose an organist oh. uh, profession one more time
1: Oh no, I know I want to be an opera singer
0: you, you <laughs> remember <laughs> I know yeah yeah
1: <laughs> want to be an organist uh, yeah sure I think it, it's 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 physically demanding but I if I would just have a little a little spree of being an opera singer I would have like to be an opera uh-huh. I don't regret. I think, I think being an organist makes you a very, very sweet musician. Fine. And it's, And it's passionate, it's challenging to make the, the public know about this and so that they can understand what it means to be an organist.
0: Right. So, Lynn, of course, our listeners now are dying to know how they can find you and your work online. So can you give them a link or a website uh, so that they, they can connect with you?
1: Yes, well, my website, my personal website is www, uh, dot Lynn Davis, Davis, dot net, And then going to the Wichita State University uh, internet link, uh, wichita. Wichita. Edu, and typing in their their YouTube channel. That's the WSU Organ Series on on the WSU. dot Edu site. Uh, they will find all the the um, videos and uh, of Wenzies and and Organ Series.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then if, if if you forget all that, just type in Lynn Davis Organ.
0: <laughs> I'm sure people and will find you. Yeah, Great. So yeah. F- <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Lynn, uh, for your time and generosity and inspiration for people around the world. If people from 89 countries will be listening to us and and um, hopefully they each can get something out of our conversation no matter uh, if we're talking about performance or registration, we talked about registration too about the great French tradition how you continue it into the 21st century right, into your technological uh, and um, interdisciplinary uh, advances and how to put uh, the organ into more public place and c- more cultural prominent place into the 21st century, your all great endeavors are such a great tremendous inspiration. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate very, very much this opportunity to talk with you. It's been a great pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. Continue producing great work worth doing. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Pinkavitus, Thanks for listening. and I'll catch you online really soon.